What's up, everybody? My name is Aaron Marler, and this is the Voice in the Wilderness podcast. On today's episode, me and my guests discuss spiritual warfare. We talk about what all goes into it and really what it is. It's something that gets thrown around in church all the time, but doesn't really get taught much. So I hope you get something out of today's episode, and without much more hesitation, let's get right into the show. So, just like last time, we've already been having a really good discussion about this topic, but, um, so today's topic, basically, we're going to be talking about spiritual warfare, you know, what is it, how does it apply to today, and why is it something that most Christians really don't talk about at all? Like, you don't hear from pulpit a whole lot, maybe around Halloween, maybe. But it's something that needs to be discussed, I feel like, more than just once or twice a, a year. But um, I guess I'll ask you, well, I'll just ask you pretty much, um, what really is, like, what is spiritual warfare in a general sense? Okay. Well, the first thing I, I want to do is I want to mention that I have a large number of pet peeves as you are well aware of. And one of those pet peeves is the way the term, the phrase, spiritual warfare is bandied about in church circles. And one of the things that I've noticed is you hear the the phrase spiritual warfare thrown out a lot, but it's never precisely defined as to what it actually is. I mean, that's where we're going here in, in just a couple of minutes. It's a Christianese phrase. It really is. It's, it's church speak. And the problem is many times it's a cover phrase. Somebody comes to somebody, they have an issue in their life. I'm having a problem at work. There's a, a difficulty in my marriage. There's a problem with my children. We're having sickness in the family, this, that, and the other, all of these different issues. And what they're looking for are answers. Yeah. And rather than give an answer because the person doesn't have an answer, they instead decide, you know what? I can't afford to have my spiritual image diminished in this relationship by simply admitting, you know what? I don't have a clue. <laughs> you know, I, your marriage, what? I, don't ask me. Yeah. I, I got no answers for you, bub. And it's like, but you can't say that because that's not good Christian speak. No, that comes so across what you, a little wrong. <laughs> it comes off a little wrong. And no, and, and you're, it's like, you know, it would be more honest to say, you know what? I really don't have a clue, but what I will do is I will, we will pray together. We will fast together. We will seek God together for the answers to your issue until we get an answer. That is more honest. It's certainly more caring, but it's far less likely to happen. 
a lot of times what you see are people will say, well, what you need to do is spiritual warfare. Or you're in a spiritual battle. You're in a spiritual battle and you need to do spiritual warfare without ever saying exactly what that means and exactly how you do it. And so it's one of those things. It really sounds very spiritual, but basically it means either nothing or it means anything, which again means it means nothing. Oh, yeah. So the question that you ask me is, and I'm glad that we're starting with this, is we need to get beyond religious nonsense. Yeah, you got to get rid of the Christianese phrases and all that stuff. Because whenever I hear the phrase spiritual warfare, um, it's always been a solo battle. It's mm-hmm. never been a group thing, and, or at least for me. That's just kind of the vibe I get because it's, like you said, people don't want to, like if they don't know the answer, they don't want to say that. And it's always been a thing where it's like, well, you're in a spiritual battle, you're in a spiritual warfare, or you're in a spiritual spiritual war, and it's like, okay, so you need to do this. And it's like, all right, I'll do that. Are you going to help me? And most of the time it's just like, I will pray for you. Yeah, which means, of course, that I will forget about this as soon as you walk away. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> it's it's one of those things like that people in, in uh in churches do it's like how you doing brother and then if you actually tell them how you're doing yeah they immediately get that deer in the headlights look it's like look apparently you haven't been in church enough to long enough to know i don't really want to know how you're doing you were supposed to say i'm good I'm and then good, walk away or i'm blessed and 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 all of this and then yeah you know or then you're supposed to ask me the same question <laughs> and i give you the same answer and we go about our business because that's good church speak. You know? Exactly. But don't ask me to commit. No, know? don't be honest <laughs> with me. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I want to do is hear about your issues. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's, it's a weird dichotomy, but it, it, it really does happen, sadly, far too many times in uh, among believers. And most of the time, uh, I think it's become so commonplace. People don't even realize it. They don't reflect on it. And that's why you don't see it change. No. And, and one of the things we actually need to do is we need to move beyond religious mindsets and start actually addressing these kind of things, talking about them, which is why what we're just doing here is really yeah. unusual. Um, but so far as spiritual warfare, uh, it, very few times do you actually see in the uh, New Testament the term warfare actually used. Uh, what you do find is where Paul, for instance, write, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God for the tearing down of strongholds. Okay, And that's a really interesting uh, passage of Scripture. First of all, it actually uses the term warfare uh, in the uh, King James Version. And it says strongholds. Like, what would that be? A like, st- tearing down uh, strongholds? A stronghold is basically a barricade, a tower, that basically um, stands uh, basically to mark out territory. What you would do is, in ancient days, you would take a certain area— and then you would build a, an encampment, a tower, basically there from which the height of which you could see the enemy coming. Yeah. And you made the walls very thick so that if they were laid siege to, 
you could go inside and be safe. It's the same mentality that uh, we used in the American West when we built our forts. There would be walls around, and then there would be a high tower in the midst from which you could keep a lookout. Okay. Well, it's kind of like that sort of thing there. They would build a, uh, a tower. It would be heavily fortified, and the walls would be thick. And basically, it would be used to house uh, provisions, uh, weapons, and troops. And basically, you used that. That was, for, that was the uh, hub from which your forces would then control the surrounding areas. That's why it's a stronghold. Okay. Because you, it, it's, it's where your military strength was that allowed you to hold to the area. So when Paul uses this, he's actually talking about, well, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not physical. We're not going out there and, you know, laying physical siege to some material tower and all that. He's saying, look, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They're not physical. They're not carnal. They're empowered by God to tear down strongholds. And what are these strongholds? It talks about taking into captivity every argument, okay, every type of thinking that basically exalts itself against God. You're actually, the, the, uh, the strongholds are basically, to bottom line it, it's your, basically, it's your mental attitude about things. It's your reasonings, your arguments, because let me tell you something. When you talk about the Lord to people, everybody's got an opinion. Oh, yeah. Usually based on nothing more than their opinion or something that they're basically repeating that somebody else said that is now their opinion. Yeah. <laughs> and the truth of the matter is some of it's uh, uh, more substantial than others. You can tell at least some thought went into it. But at the end of the day, those strongholds, those mental th thoughts that, uh, in fact, if I recall correct, I believe that the root word is actually reckoning, which basically is like an accounting. And so it's the bottom line of the ledger. This is where we get to the bottom line. Okay, this is what I think. This is what I believe. These are the things that basically we have to lay siege to. And you can't do that physically. You have to be empowered by God to do this, to tear down these arguments, these ways of thinking that basically are very much uh, engendered in people's hearts and minds. And I, in order to explain, I guess, how this works, um, we need to understand certain things about um, at this point, I'm trying to decide whether to go back to Genesis or jump over to Ephesians. <laughs> but uh, essentially, let me, let me explain it like this. When God created humanity and he set them out in the garden and he blessed them and he basically gave them a mandate, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth with fruit, Go forth, subdue the earth, have dominion, basically authority over it. God gave a certain amount of authority to humanity. When humanity heeded the voice of the serpent, 
instead of listening to the voice and the commands of the Almighty, they actually turn from, from Jehovah God and listen to the voice of Satan, the serpent. In doing so, they elevated him to the, a position above that of God. And Satan, the serpent, became their God because who you obey is your God. Whose voice you listen to and act on, that's your God. Okay, And in doing so, they fell out of relationship with the Almighty. Okay, There were ramifications. The ramifications are God basically cut them off. They were basically his governors. If you think of heaven and earth as, think of heaven as a country, a kingdom, and of earth as its colony. And Adam and Eve were its appointed governors. They just turned traitor and just rebelled against the home government and installed a new governor called Satan. Okay? That's who they just decided they wanted as their new governor. Yeah, that doesn't pan out that well. <laughs> it's not a prescription for good things. No. So God comes back, and at that point, he starts laying the smack down. Okay? <laughs> it's like, okay, see what y'all did? Know what y'all did like I never knew in the first place. But he goes ahead, and it's like, okay, here's the deal. I told you not to take of the fruit. What did you do? You took of the fruit. Well, I told you that when you that when you took of it, you would surely die. Well, I'm cutting you off from me. Being cut off from the source of life is spiritual death. It took several hundred years for physical death to catch up. But eventually physical death did. And it was not only their issue then, it was all of those of us who followed this issue. Not only that, but then there was that wonderful thing that the woman has to deal with. I will greatly increase your sorrow and your, uh, basically, your fertility. And it's like... She got a raw deal. <laughs> indeed, she did. <laughs> and then, for Adam's sake, you have the situation where it's like, okay, I'm going to smite the whole earth. It's going to basically yield up uh, thorns and thistles, not just the fruit of the ground. And so all of human history since then has demonstrated two things. Number one, mankind's inability to govern himself apart from God, either individually or collectively. Every form of human civilization, every form of human government, economies, political, whatever, all of the isms, socialism, communism, libertarianism, fascism, all the isms, capitalisms, every economic ism, every political ism, and yes, every religious ism. <laughs> Are all of the isms basically large, are basically man's expression of his inability to govern himself apart from God individually or collectively? Now, here's the thing that's going to happen. 
as a result of this, there's going to come in history a culmination point where all of the isms come together. Okay? And that's going to happen in what's referred to as the beast system in the book of Revelation, where you have a religious system, an economic system, and a governmental system all in nice one, li one large worldwide nice package. Okay, it will be the ultimate, in uh, the ultimate expression of man's inability to govern himself apart from God. It will be the consummation of all wickedness. And who's going to be heading it? The man of perdition, the son of the devil, who will basically uh, be the one called the Antichrist. So basically, at the end of the story, we see we're returning to the beginning of the story. Just as in the garden, they made Satan their governor, their ruler. So in the book of Revelation, Satan will be also ruling until God basically puts an end to it. So you've got that situation. But in between the time that the fall happened in the garden and what's going to happen in the book of Revelation, we have all been born into a world that is largely run by Satan. Now, here's the interesting thing, and this is what people need to understand. Think about when Satan tempted Jesus. You remember one of the temptations? He said, uh, look, Jesus, check this out. My paraphrase. I was about to say, that's a cool translation. Yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's the cool dude translation of the, of the scripture. <laughs> check this out, Jesus. I'm going to show you every one of the nations and the governments of this world, of this age. And you know what? If you will get down and worship me, I will give them all to you. All you got to do is worship me. You make me the boss and I will give them all to you. And you know what? Jesus never questioned his ability to deliver. Hmm. He let Satan know that you will worship only the Lord your God, but he never contradicted Satan as to his ability to deliver the goods. Yeah. Because it wouldn't have been a legitimate temptation if he couldn't have, if done he it. Couldn't have delivered it. That's the whole thing. So Jesus refused that. What does that tell us about Satan, whose name, and by the way, his name isn't Satan. Satan is a title. It basically means the adversary or the enemy. Satan is not his proper name. It's basically a description of who, or uh, basically it's a job description more than anything else. It's like he is our enemy, he is our adversary, etc. And so when you look at that, what was the deal? What it told us is that the scriptures which said that Satan is the prince of the power of the air, the prince of this world, in another passage, and the God of this world are very much true. Okay? Because although God decides the beginning and the end of nations, check out the book of Daniel. 
you know, where he talks about this one and this one and this one will come. God determines the beginnings of nations. He determines the ends of nations and the length of their existence. But because Satan controls the people, he basically is largely running a lot of these, uh, the kingdoms of this world. And will do so until the end of the age when the kingdoms of, our, of this world become the kingdoms of our God and of his Christ. So think about this. All of human, um, Satan controls the nations. He controls those who control the nations to a great degree. And so what is society really like? What, whatever nation you're born into, whatever country, whatever culture, who's really defining it? Hmm. <laughs> indeed, indeed. People don't reflect on this because you're just born into a country, into a community, into a culture. It's like, how much of what you are born into when you enter this world is actually being controlled and defined and propagated by Satan. And so you're born into this world, and from the day you come forth from the womb, the brainwashing begins. That makes sense. You are being seduced. You Congratulations, you have just arrived in the matrix. <laughs> And in, in a way, it, it, that really is kind of the way what we term reality actually operates. You remember years ago, uh, there was a, a movie. And in the movie, this fellow, basically, he, he goes to work. He lives in a neighborhood. He, he goes about his business. He has friends. He, he has, I think, a girlfriend and all this. What he doesn't realize is that he's the star of a television show. Yes. And everybody's in on it except him. I actually just watched that about a month ago. Okay. <laughs> and so, and, and then somebody wises him up. Somehow he gets wised up to the reality that everything he thought he knew about his life was a lie. Welcome to the Apostle Paul. Mm. I thought I was doing the right thing. I was a student of Gamaliel. I was a Pharisee of the Pharisee. I was zealous for the law. I persecuted the church beyond measure. Only to find out that everything in my life I valued was leading me to actually persecuting the one that I should have been loving. And he had to strike me blind after knocking me off my horse to basically let me know, hey, dummy, figure it out. Everything you thought you knew has been leading you in the wrong direction. And we are all born into lives where we think we know. (laughs) And what we really don't know is that we're all basically on the same road. Wide is the road. <laughs> yeah. And see, this is the this is the this is the thing. It's like wide is the path, and great is the gate that leads to destruction. But 
narrow is the path and straight is the gate that leads to life everlasting. Few there are that find it. Mm. And so we're actually born into a world where we're brainwashed from the beginning. And because we have no covenant relationship with God, Satan blinds the minds of those who actually do not have covenant with God. He blinds their minds and he blinds their hearts, which is why, you know, you you try to talk to people who are unsafe and you hear the most remarkably stupid things coming out of their mouths, but they think that that they're making sense. Well, in the worldly fashion, it is. Yeah, that's the thing to them. They make they're making sense and all that stuff, but it's not. And you look at them, it's almost like looking at a kid. Mm -hmm. They just don't understand. Mm-hmm. You know, and then you tr- you have to explain to them, but it doesn't make sense to them. No, it's like it's like talking. It's like you're in two different worlds and you are. Yes. And it's like there's a uh, language barrier. You just can't sometimes convey it. They have no point of reference. No, it's like trying to describe orange to a blind man. Yeah. It's like, how do you do that? Exactly. It really is. You. That's why. When you get to that point, because all of us were born like that, you, me, everybody we've ever known are born into this world and the deception begins and it's lie upon lie upon lie, deception upon deception upon deception. But what happens is at some point, at some point, what we do is we intersect with the Holy Spirit. Now, see, that's like... among the many stupid things that we say in Christianese is it's this thing. I I remember when I found Jesus, it's like, seriously, dude, he wasn't the one who was lost. Remember I came to seek and save that, which was lost. Check it out. And, and it's like, and I made Jesus the Lord of my life. No, no man comes except the spirit draws him. You just responded yeah. So the Holy Spirit's drawing. Don't get to over uh, estimating your part in the process. It's really the entire the entirety of it is the work of God. The it's Holy funny Spirit, how when God uses us enough times that we kind of forget who's actually in charge. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes we do stuff like that without even thinking about it. And I wonder what Jesus really thinks when say something like, you know, I made him the Lord of my life. And I bet Jesus sitting back and be like, he did what? <laughs> well, at some point he got he I'm sure he remembers you know, I there is a reason I refer to them as as, as, as sheep. sheep. Yeah. Because sheep are like the dumbest animals ever and yeah. it's like, yeah, you realize it's like, okay, well, sheep are being <laughs> sheep again, you know. It's just kind of what they do. <laughs> and it's like, you know, but I'm still working on them. I'm still working on They're them. They're a work in progress. So, when the Holy Spirit draws you, what happens is simply this. When we f- when mankind fell in the garden, he was lost in three ways. Spirit, soul, and body. And because of what Christ did in his crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension, we now have a path through Christ back to the Almighty. Okay? And when you are drawn by the Holy Spirit and you respond to him, 
what happens? You are convicted of your sin, mm-hmm. of your fallen state. We used to have, you used to hear this taught upon. There was something called the utter corruption of humanity. And what that simply means is even if you think you're being good and doing good, you're, us- you're doing it for the wrong reasons. Yeah. It's like the motive is wrong. The motive is wrong. It's like you're not stealing because you don't want to steal. You're not stealing because you're afraid of getting caught and punished. Yeah. You know, it's one of those things. It's like if I could get away with this. Oh, yeah. If I could just act on my impulses and do what I really want to do instead of being restrained by societal norms and other things. Well, then, boy, I'd really say what I really thought and I'd really do what I really want. And that's the inward true sinful corrupt fallen man basically wanting its expression that's like people you ever seen sometimes how people who win the lottery completely wig out oh yeah all of a sudden they have unlimited money or at least what appears to be unlimited money and they just go whack a doodle oh yeah and at that point you start seeing how they really are or you have people that have never had authority and all of a sudden they become the boss and you thought that that you were installing Dr. Jekyll and all of a sudden they're Mr. Hyde. Oh, yeah. And it's like, no, they always were that person. But now they, they just, have a, an outlet. Exactly. They have the ability to they basically. have an outlet and they have no repercussions for the most part. Exactly. And what happens is to true corrupt a fallen human nature at that point reveals itself. It's like, oh, well, people say, well, money changes you. No, money cha- reveals you. Yeah. Uh, the same, uh, the same thing with with authority and all and all of that. It's amazing, money, power, all this stuff. It's amazing how it reveals the corruption. Oh yeah. There's a, a saying that says, "Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely." That's not quite correct. Power does not corrupt. Power reveals the corruption that was always there. Yeah. It simply gives the person the opportunity to reveal their corruption. So what happens? We acknowledge our corrupt fallen state, our need for the Savior. And at that point, we confess our sins. And when we basically, and here's the thing, we give our life to Jesus Christ. It's like, here I am. I'm totally yours. I belong to you. I'm going to follow you. And we turn from our wicked ways. We repent of our sins. And the Holy Spirit takes up residency within us. So what's going on there? What happened is the first stage has just happened. Through the work of God, through the Holy Spirit drawing us, now we have reestablished spiritual contact with our Creator. Now remember, man has lost spirit, soul, and body. At this point, the part of a man of, of, of humanity that interacts with the spiritual realm has just reconnected with the first cause, the creator. Okay? But then starts a new process, and that is the process of saving the soul. Because the soul and the spirit are two different entities, but they're very closely interrelated. When Paul wrote these words, The word of God is quick, it's alive, and sharper than any two-edged sword and, and capable of dividing bone from marrow, soul and spirit. Think about bone and marrow, how closely related they are. One is actually contained 
within the other. In the same way, with spirit and soul, one is contained within the other. And the spirit is the part of a human being meant to interact with the spiritual realm and with spiritual entities. Whereas the soul is designed for the interaction with the earthly realm and earthly physical entities. And that's something that most people, you know, we used to teach about spirit, soul, and body. Good luck hearing much about that nowadays. But it's very relevant and it's very true. So at that point, we begin the process of saving our souls. Well, how does that happen? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Behold, old things have passed away. All things have become new. Well, what's the ramification of that? It's a total turn when we follow Christ. At this point, we're being led by the Holy Spirit. What does it say? The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. The Holy Spirit will teach you. And that brings us to the word of God, the word of truth. What did Paul write to Timothy? He told them, study to show yourself approved, a workman needing not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we now we have the spirit and the word that is actually showing us the truth. What does this happen? It starts this, be not conformed to what? This world, but be transformed, what? By the renewing of your mind. At this point, the Holy Spirit, through his voice, and the word of God begins deconstructing the brainwashing that you've had all your life. Mm. Now, think about that. Now, depending on how old you are and how steeped you are in the culture that you grew up in. That could take a while. That's going to take a while. In fact, the saving of your soul is going to take the rest of your life. And then what you're waiting for then is the third stage. You've been saved spirit, soul, and you wait, await the redemption of the body. When this mortality will put on immortality. And at that point, the work of redemption is complete in that individual's life. Spirit, soul, and body, they are now what we were always meant to be. So, <laughs> and when you're, because uh, you said the saving of the soul that takes the rest of your life, and then, and it's not just an easy thing, you know. Otherwise, no. otherwise, you know, we probably wouldn't even be discussing spiritual warfare because that's like the saving of your soul that it takes the rest of your life. So basically, once you know you accept Jesus and all that, it's like you're put on you know, hell's most wanted list. And that's like, okay, Indeed. he turned from us. Now we got to get him. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's why they call it warfare because it's a battle for the, almost like for the rest of your life. Yeah. Satan realizes he's got a defector on his hands. Oh yeah. He he's, he's been, he's been running your life. And all of a sudden you, you just, you just sought asylum in the kingdom of heaven. What? And oh, it's yeah. like, so what, what's starting to happen here? As we're being saved, spirit, soul, and body, what's happening is we're being deconstructed from what the lies we've been told 
into the truth of real reality. And that's why getting to Ephesians, in Ephesians 6, it talks about, uh, in, ver- in chapter 6, verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual weakness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day, having done all to stand. And it goes on, stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. Now, and having put on the pre- blessed breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye may be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of, of God. Now, what I find interesting is, because this is where we get to the warfare, the real, the, 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 starting the what with, is it? Exactly, you know? because at this point, what's happening as your mind is becoming renewed, what did Jesus tell his disciples over and over? Matthew 24, Luke 21, and on and on. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. Be not deceived. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. And another passage, and he defined himself as the truth. I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to my Father except by me. And so what do we have here? What we have is a situation where the beginning of spiritual warfare is knowing the truth. Because the thing about it is you can't fight a war if you don't even know you're in a war. Yeah. I mean, you just became, when you accepted Christ, you became a citizen of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven which means you're no longer a citizen of the kingdoms of this world. You become an ambassador of Christ and of the kingdom of which he is the king. We at that point have to start representing the kingdom and its culture. And we need to actually understand what the kingdom is. But you notice It's the interesting thing in Ephesians 6. Paul did not basically write this willy-nilly. When he describes when you're putting on the armor of God, this was the order in which Roman soldiers put on their armor. This is not random. You put on your armor in a specific way. Can I tell you, armor is not a fashion statement. Okay? If you're putting on a suit of armor, it's for work. It's for war. So this is not one of these willy-nilly, vague spiritual warfare cliches. The first thing he tells you is, stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. So what are you doing? You are basically putting on a, a belt, a buckler of truth. And you start with that. Now, the interesting thing about that word truth there, it's really interesting because if you look in the original Greek at the word that's translated truth here, basically it means basically factual truth. 
but another element of it is reality. Huh. Okay, you have just put on the belt of reality. Now think about that for a minute. What that means is, for the first time, you're not dealing with the unreal. You have just written, God has just written you your reality check, and you've just put it on. And that's the first thing you have to put on, because at this point, you actually know or begin to understand what reality really is. You think you know reality, but you don't know reality until you've met Jesus Christ. At that point, reality is what you wear around your waist. You know why? Because it's the, the breastplate and all of these other things, the breastplate attaches to it, which means you put on the breastplate of righteousness, it attaches. It has to rest on that belt. There can be no righteousness until there's truth. So basically, you'll never be righteous until you understand true reality. Now think about mm. that for a minute. At that point, you know, you're thinking about, I, I, you think about that for a minute. Mm. You I might, like that. That. <laughs> Especially with the way the world is now, exactly with everything that's been going on with the pol with politics, fake news, and you've got all this, all these different news outlets giving different stories. Exactly. Right now, when you look at people, people have no idea what truth is. They have no idea what reality is. No. Because what they do is they listen to social media influencers regular media talking heads. They listen to world leaders and politicians. They listen to business people. They listen to indoctrinators who are basically labeled educators. And they listen to uh, so-called ministers many times who are nothing more than regurgitating what sells. That is all too often the quote-unquote reality of the world we live in. But God has this way of disrupting that reality and introducing truth and true reality to those who love him. And so when you do that, all of a sudden, your truth is not dependent on social media or media or politicians, or world leaders, or any of the other th voices that are out there. It's the voice of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And all of a sudden, those become the filters by which everything you see, everything you hear, and everything you th that people think they know suddenly become filtered. And there is a heavy duty magnitude change in the way you begin to look at things and so when you look at that it's like okay reality is a whole lot different than what I w used to think it was and so when you look at this um, that's like because there are so many voices um, I told you about the book of Revel in the book of Revelation, where we talk about the beast system. 
and how basically it has a religious component and it has a governmental component and we have a um, an economic economic religious and governmental component right i think it's funny that in the end there's still a religious component you know what i mean like that would be the one thing you would think people would want to like get rid of and yet even the antichrist is like no we got to have this it's necessary in order to perpetuate worship yep it's not just enough to have authority there must be worship oh yeah because that's something that satan really uh really lusts after now think about this you hear people use this term the deep state yeah how many times have we all heard that term the deep state the deep can i state. tell you every nation has a deep state oh yeah every nation has a deep state i was listening to somebody the other night and they used the term uh the deep church now, can I tell you, oh, let's see, I'm going, this is where we start that, opening cans of worms. See, every, oh my gosh, every, that, that is one of those things that just leads into conversations that. Like every church has the deep church. Yeah. And then, <laughs> see, every state has the deep state, every church has the deep church, and there's also uh, the deep economy. Okay. There are, there are the. And the, you know what the currency the, of the deep there are of the, the deep economy is? <laughs> Bitcoin. That's what it's going to be. <laughs> uh, but but no. seriously, we yeah. you what we have is there's the deep state, which are the spirits and the individuals that are controlled and working with them. You have the deep church spirits and those are working with them and controlling them in the churches and in religion. And then you have the deep uh, economy, which is basically the financial systems of this world and those spirits that control the people who are running those shows. What did Jesus say? The love of money is the root of all evil. Now, somebody, some people say, you know, it's not the root of all evil. Well, you know what? argue that point as much as you want but let me tell you something there's a reason we use a term follow the money yeah because if there's dirty deeds dunning uh, being done and you want to know what's going on following the money is a good way of, of figuring it out and it didn't say money was the root of all evil because some people get all tore up over that be like so does that mean i'm supposed to be poor and sad and stuff no it's just saying the love of it because there's people who that is all they do Oh, listen. They obsess over it. They can never. It's that Mr. Scrooge type thing. You know, he's got like a lot of money, but he doesn't give any away. He doesn't do anything with it. He just hoards it. Exactly. I think it's funny that in like old fairy tales, you see dragons. I, I think that imagery is funny because they have dragons. They've got all this gold, a serpent <laughs> yeah. with all this stuff. It's yeah. like. Indeed. Uh, I never thought about that, but I the just dragons think it's funny. Are, the dragons are drawn to gold. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Yeah, very uh, interesting imagery. Very appropriate yeah. uh, imagery. So, so the interesting thing is, you've got this first. You've got this um, situation where you've been debrainwashed or in the process of it. Your thinking has changed. You have truth now. Reality, true reality, reality is actually bring exactly is settling in, 
and you're beginning to see things not as you thought they were, but as they truly are. And from that, then now you are seeing righteousness come forth. Now, what is righteousness? In this context, basically, first of all, there's a legal standing uh, element to this. Um, our righteousness is filthy rags, okay? Um, that's why when we gave our lives to Jesus Christ, we, take, he gave, we gave our life to him. He gives his life to us. And there is what's known as imputed righteousness, okay? We're not truly righteous, but because of the work of Jesus Christ in our lives, God sees us through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Otherwise, we could never hope to stand in his presence, okay? It's like, yeah, I know you aren't really righteous, but my son, whom you accepted, is so... It's like that covering... Exactly. And so what happens is that's imputed, but it's not only that. Righteousness is that which is acceptable in the eyes of God. And it's not just because here's the thing. People will use the excuse of imputed righteousness As, yeah. to be unrighteous. It's sort of like the whole hyper gracie thing. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, you know, who worships the God of infinite slack. <laughs> yeah, it's, one, it's, it's like, that mindset of I worship on Sunday, but I cuss on Monday. It's like, it's like I can do, I cannot just do sins. I can do all the sins I want and God will just cut me slack forever. I can do it six and times it, a week. And then Sunday I ask for forgiveness. And it's like, and it's like, no, we'll see. And that's like um, talking about my pet peeves. Yeah. Let me explain another pet peeve of mine that sort of goes along with this. You ever been in a store, and I know you have, <laughs> and you're looking at something, and somebody leans in, invading your personal space, cuts in front of you, reaches for something that's right in front of you, did not ask you, excuse me, could... I yeah. step in here, but no, and, and all that. No, they just do it. And what do you hear coming out of their mouth? Sorry. I'm sorry. Me. And it's like, liar, liar. You are not sorry because the truth of the matter is what you're doing right now is rude. Yeah. It's obnoxious. It's selfish. And the truth of the matter is you're not truly sorry because if you were truly sorry, and, and, and here's something here's something interesting. The word repent, yeah. there's actually a couple of different words that are translated repent in the New Testament. One has to do with an emotional thing. It's it's really I, I feel really bad. Okay. It's, yeah, I the feel bad part. But it doesn't really change me. But then there's that part of repent where it actually goes, it's like it enters into your mind and you make what, what, you know, I used to hear this, a term you used to hear in churches, a quality decision that I will not just feel bad about this. I'm actually going to turn away from it. I'm actually going to change my behavior. Yeah. It's not enough for me to just feel bad about it. I actually can't be content just to be sorrowful about my sins. I actually have to, at some point, make a commitment 
to change and no longer sin. Now, at that point, depending on how steeped you were in sin, that actually requires a serious reliance on the power of the Holy Spirit. Because as Paul said, you know, we have this sin nature. That which I would do, I don't do. That which I don't do, that I find myself doing. Yeah. Who will deliver me from the body of the death? But the law, so like, the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. I just want to touch on this right quick. Did sure. they call it a quality decision? Was that the term? That was the, if you it, went to church back in the 70s, okay? I, I don't know how long before the 70s. Yeah. They they used that situation, but I, I remember but, that phraseology: a quality decision. Isn't that what repentance just means? Though repentance is just turning away from your sins and turning and away. trying to follow Christ, changing direction. Yes, you know what they did, and this hurts me. I know this is a Christian podcast, but I got to reference <laughs> something right quick. Okay, you know what the church did, and okay, now I like stand up comedy. <laughs> okay. They did a thing. So repentance probably has a harsh connotation to it, I guess. But they did the thing that Carlin did in his stand-up where it was like, oh, it's not global warming, it's climate change. Or it's not shell-shocked, it's post-traumatic stress disorder. They're putting all the syllables in and they're trying to fluff it up so it doesn't sound so harsh. I don't know why, but when they say it's a quality decision... And they're changing it. I'm like, why would you just do that? Just leave it. Leave it alone. Yeah. Well, see, the thing about it is, the thing about the quality decision is, they, and I remember them teaching on this. I know I probably shouldn't have reference, but you know what? <laughs> there will be people who listen to this who probably aren't Christian, and they'll get that, and that'll yes. hit them. So there we go. But yeah, well, I see, don't know why. <laughs> well, see, the thing about the quality decision is, there are people who have the one. They have this momentary sorrow. They feel bad about the wrong things they've done. They recognize they're wrong. They feel bad about them. But the problem is they say, I'm going to change. I'm going to change. And it's like, you know what? Feeling bad doesn't necessarily trigger change. No. There has to be a change. There has to be a commitment to change. Exactly. And a lot of people, and, and here's the thing, a lot of people don't want to admit just how much they love their sin. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, now they, they call may... it secret sin. This is this is my secret sin. It's like they keep it in a box and they take it out and look at it and smile. I don't know. Well, see, my thing is about that. Look, the Bible says, and since we've actually shifted over for the moment to uh, the sin topic, yeah, all of sin and come short of the glory of God. If a man says he has sin, the same is a liar and the truth is not him. Let's be honest. All of us have sin. You have sin. I have sin. Everybody who listens to this has sin. Every human being that walked the earth, save one, yeah, uh, since the fall in the garden has had sin in his or her life. And you know what? We're going to spend the rest of our lives from the time that we basically give our life to Jesus Christ to the time that basically we die or the Lord returns and we're transformed, we are going to be dealing with sin. Yeah. In, in our sin natures, our sin tendencies. It's just a thing, which is we actually had a discussion before our discussion. Yeah. 
and I guess we're back around to it, about the fact that, look, um, we understand that everybody is human, everybody is flawed, everybody has to battle sins, sometimes more effectively than others, and it's about the degree to which you're able and willing to yield to the Holy Spirit in any given area of your life. Yeah. Our first discussion uh, on air was basically about the Holy Spirit and why I'm a Pentecostal. Well, the Holy Spirit manifests himself in two different ways in the believer's lives, gifts and fruit. Okay, and we talked a lot about gifts, but we didn't talk so much about fruit. Well, if you look at the scripture and you look at the list of the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of the spirit are these love, joy, peace, goodness, etc., etc. Every one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit is a list which is in answer, if you read earlier in that chapter, to a whole list of sinful actions and attitudes. Every one of those sinful actions and attitudes, the antidote to them is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And so it's all about our yieldedness. That goes back to Paul. Who shall deliver me from the body of death? But the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus will set me free from the law of sin and death. And so the question is not this. Do you have sin in your life? We all do. I, I honestly, whenever I see somebody who seems to be too good to be true, I, re I really start, it's like I start backing up. It's like, okay. Um, you're, it's like you're on alert. Because it's like, like, why? Anything that like, seems to be too good to be true is, I like the, it's sort of the religious attitude of the guy that came to Jesus. And he says, good rabbi. You yeah. Remember, and remember what Jesus said to him? Why do you call me good? There's none good but God. And it's like, and it's like, oh, see, now at that point, he either had to recognize him as God or just admit that basically he was schmoozing. Oh, yeah. And so my thing is simply this. We all have sin in our lives. We all need to repent of our sins. But what we need, to, but the question is what, and, and honestly, this, look, the way of a good man is basically ordered of the Lord. He delighteth in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down. The Lord will uphold him with his hands. A righteous man may fall seven times, but basically God will bring him back up again. These are the things that, you know, these kind of things need to be understood. But the, I, I asked the Lord about this and about the sin, the sin questions because a lot of people have really difficult time dealing in certain areas with sin. And the question was simply this. If you're struggling in an area of sin, you know, what is, you know, how, how do you stand in this? And my th what the Lord basically told me, because you have, like I say, the hyper grace thing, the God of infinite slack, as I, I referred to <laughs> him, and, and, and that these people are teaching and preaching. And my thing, what the Lord spoke to me was this, my love and mercy and grace and forgiveness are extended 
for those sins you want to get away from, not the ones you want to get away with. Mm. So the question is not, do you have sin in your life? All of us do. Are you trying to get away from it or are you trying to get away with it? Oh, yeah. And so it's all about your attitude towards sin and whether you're trying to get away from it or whether you're trying to get away with it. It's like the alcoholic, you know. Oh, wait a minute. I'll tell you. Here's an even better example. 25 years ago, probably a little longer than that, we went to church with a couple. Um, The wife had a substance abuse problem. And she would do good many times for weeks, maybe even months. And then all of a sudden, one night, she wouldn't be at service. And she might come up missing for a couple days, three days, maybe even a week, where she basically fell into her. uh, It was like she relapsed. It's like she relapsed. She's back. She's she's back. She's doing drugs. Yeah. And then she, you know, ends up trying to turn from this and 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 goes again for weeks or even months. Varying lengths of time. It was like a cycle. And, and so, and she's struggling against this. And it's very hard emotionally because she truly wants to be free. She's just not getting there. Yeah. Now, it, probably in a future discussion before long, there are other extenuating factors in some of these cases that we will actually talk about, where we talk about uh, demonic activity. Oh, yeah. Because the tr- we, we have two extremes. Blame the devil for everything and demons for everything or just blame everything on sin and sin nature and the flesh. Yeah. And we go from one extreme to the other and we never uh, strike the proper balance. No. It's like, it, it's just one of those things. Well, she would run into these situations and, but she was struggling to be free from this addiction. There are people who are struggling with sin, but you know, the thing about it is everybody knew in the congregation, when she wasn't there, what she was doing, what was going on. Yeah. And so people could look at her and say, you know what? Um, they could look down on her and say, well, the thing about her sin is it's one she couldn't hide. Okay. Yeah. It was one she was couldn't hide because then she wouldn't be there. But, you know, the thing about her was she truly wanted to be free and she was trying to get free. Well, just think about her. She she would go away for some time and still come back, and she probably knew that they knew. Yeah. I mean, Think it was about not. that. You're walking into a situation where everybody knows, knows what you did. And so I'm looking at this, and it's like, you know what? Everybody knows each time she fell. But how many times between the time that she was gone last time and this time was the opportunity there? And she didn't smoke it. She didn't shoot it. She didn't snort it. How many times? See, it's like the alcoholic. Everybody knows when the alcoholic is falling down drunk. Yeah. Reeking of alcohol. But how many times was the temptation there? But victory 
was given by God and they didn't take the drink. You never see the times they didn't take the drink. You don't see the times they didn't take the drugs. You don't see the times they didn't watch the porn. You don't see the times they didn't mess around or that they didn't lie or that they didn't steal. All you see are the failures. You never see many times the multitude of God's victories in their lives because we are always quick to see the wrong and to fault them for it, but we never want to see the miracles that God has done because if it were not for the Lord, I, I would, I'll give you another example. Oh boy. I guess sort of kind of tell. <sighs> Again, this is going way back to the 1990s. Let's go back, you know, down memory okay, lane. I'm getting older now. You can't say way back to the 1990s <laughs> anymore. That's not way back anymore. Okay, I'm in the way back machine or <laughs> whatever that's called now. Um, I'm, I'm taking time travel back now. Okay. There was, we, we went to a church. The minister was, um, he had to step away from the pulpit for what is now euphemistically called a moral failure. Okay. A moral failure. We have churches for everything, but <laughs> he, he, he basically, and, and so my mother and I go into this church at, at the time, and it's like, okay. It was devastating for a lot of people. People loved the man, really, truly, deeply loved the man. Yeah. It was a shattering experience for a lot of people. It truly was. And I, I remember, you know, after you see the, the, the aftermath of this and you see the, the people who are walking away from God over it that are leaving churches never to return because of it, as well as those that are actually trying to process the hurt and the disappointment, and all the other things they, they, they are, they're dealing with as a result of this. And I went off and basically I'm talking to God. You know, you go off privately, you get real with God. And it's like, God, I really just don't get this. You know, he, he, this man has, um, he has a family. You know, I don't, yeah. I don't get this. And it's like, what is the deal here? And this was, you know, this was like on, you know, the announcement is made on a, on a Sunday morning. And I'm asking God no later than a Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. And I'm seriously asking, what is the deal here, God? Saturday comes and I'm at work. Okay. And it's busy, and we're here, and I'm, at the time, I'm working in a, in a bookstore. And, and I'm the assistant manager there. And I've got, I think, one other employee working with me that day. And it's busy because it's a Saturday, and we got people flowing in and out. But there is one customer who goes back, and I remember, because she sat down in the floor, at the back corner of the store in front of the true crime section, and she's just flipping through books back there. Now, I remember that, you know, everybody, 
has, I remember when, you know, the truth of the matter is Satan knows has a book on you. Oh, yeah. He knows uh, you pretty well. Not near as well as God does, but he's got a pretty good book on you. And I remember when this uh, young lady, and I was a much younger man then, uh, back, what is it, 27 years ago, something like that, Mm. 26, 27 years ago, um, she comes to the front. Now, she's very attractive, and she's got, you know, the tall, slender, blonde hair, pretty, nice figure, wearing the, the uh, back in the, uh, in the early 90s, neon was still in. And she's, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, before the age of the yoga pants. So she's wearing the, the athletic shorts, and she's wearing the neon socks. And, those, and, mm-hmm. all, and, and she's wearing she had very flex. She had the good look. Well, she comes up there, and she asks me, she brings up her books. She lays them on the on the cash wrap, and she starts talking to me. Yeah. Of course, I'm doing the polite. You know, it's you're, like she's the customer. The job. She's the customer. I've got to be friendly and all that good jazz. And all of a sudden, I realize something that I never realize. You know me, so you know that when it comes to the opposite sex, that I am about as dense as a brick wall okay honestly i kid you not if there's somebody who is even remotely interested in me i will probably be oblivious to that because i'm that guy yes i have no clue and i admit such okay yeah so i'm standing there and all of a sudden i realize something mm-hmm. i realize she's asking me about a book one of it was, it was called The uh, Bridges of Madison County. It's a very yeah. famous book back in the day, all about this guy who basically, he, he travels, he takes pictures, he meets this woman. I believe her husband is away. They have this affair. Basically, n- neither of them, they, they part company. She goes the rest of the, her days never letting anyone know that he was the true love of her life and, and she was the true love of his yeah. and all of this. But all they had was this illicit affair, basically. Yeah. That's really what it she amounted to. It's the, it's the glorification of adultery. Let's just be honest. Yeah. Um, my view. And she's asking me about this book. And she asks me about this. And she says, do you know what it's about? And at this point, there was a shelf on the front where mm-hmm. we would display the book across the and I want and I noticed she put her foot up on it. Yeah. Which then allowed me a um, a view, a really um, expansive view of her legs and thighs. Yeah. And she's giving me the smile and she's and I like, "Oh my god. She's coming on to me." And and I because now you know how strange that is for me. Okay. Yeah. That is just like weird. And I'll tell you what happened. In the base of my skull, in the back of my head, it was like, you know how it is when you go into, into the public schools and you used to see the fire alarms and there'd be a little yeah. red box and on top would be the little circle bell with the clapper uh-huh. that would just bang like crazy during a fire drill. That was, the Holy Spirit did that at the back of my head. It was like I had a, a fire drill 
uh, alarm going off and it's bang, 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 bang. An example I, for the nerds would be your spidey sense was tingling. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I realized it's like, oh, good grief. And because of her look and her man- manner, I realized this is the exact kind of person yeah. that I could, you know, that I would have to be wary of. Needless to say, I am, I am, I am bagging them books. And got her out the door quick. I got her out the door so fast in record time. Yeah. And afterwards, I'm thinking, you know what? I, I honestly, I stood there and I thought to myself, I need to prepare because in case she comes back, I do not want to be left alone with this female. Yeah. Because it became very apparent to me that she could be very um, forward, shall yeah. we say. And I actually, and I realized, and so I, and what the Lord spoke to me about this mm-hmm. was this situation. He's like, in the right place, at the right time, with the right person, in the right circumstance, anybody can be had. And you know, it's you, not just true of that sin. It's true of every sin. It's not just true of that pastor. It's not true of me. It's true of everybody in every sin. I bet you afterwards you were like, you know, God could have just said that phrase to me. But sometimes God has to show you. It's like anybody. Yeah, because the truth of the matter is what we do is we talk about if a brother be caught up in a fault. Yeah. You who are spiritual, restore such a one, basically in a, in a spirit of mercy, mm-hmm. taking heed also, basically so you don't fall into the same kind of sin. The truth of the matter is there's a phrase, there but for the grace of God go I. And I was never more aware of the truth of that phrase and of that scripture than when God basically let that situation come because I asked him and I asked him in all sincerity, what is the deal? And basically God was letting me know, you know what? Let, let those who think they stand take heed lest they fall. And we need to understand that sin is evil. You know, Aaron, I've committed sins in my life. And you know what my thing about sin is simply this. When I sin, I never kidded myself that it wasn't sin. Yeah. I never kidded myself that it wasn't wrong, that it wasn't evil, that it wasn't grievous to God. In fact, I was reflecting on this the other day, and what I, I thought about was um, every time I sin, it, it's like, think about Jesus hanging on the cross. Jesus was God in the flesh. And he actually hung on the cross. And when God turned his face from his son, Jesus said, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? For the first time in eternity, the face of the father was not towards the son. In that moment, Jesus knew what it was like to be us. And the reason he knew what it was like to be us, because at that moment, he became us. We caused 
you, do you know what the what the term abomina, uh, abomination is when mm. you see it in the Bible? The word actually means that which basically makes God want to basically turn away. It's something so gross and repugnant that it makes him want to back up. You ever been around a certain a situation and it's like, oh, yeah. this is so gross. I have just got to step back. I got to get away from this. That's the way sin and especially certain kinds of sin affect God. So much sin was laid on Christ that finally God couldn't look at it anymore. It actually caused him to turn his face away from his own self incarnate in flesh. You know what? I did that. Mm. My sins did that. Your sins did that. Anybody who's listening sins did that. We caused God's face to turn from Christ. The fact that our sins are so dark and evil that we could cause God to turn away from his own son should tell all of us how truly much we truly need to repent of our sins. That being said, we need to understand that we can't basically trust in our own strength. We need our reliance of the Holy Spirit because if we think we can do it on our own self, we're not, we're just kidding ourselves. Now, that's I'm going to give you. That's I, heavy. I, can, I need a minute. I, I can actually see the wheel spinning as you're just, as you're digesting this. I'm like, and it's goodness. Like, yeah, that is uh, that is ah. serious discussion, dude. <laughs> well, that's heavy. Um. <laughs> indeed, indeed. So, oh, <laughs> yeah. So back to spiritual warfare. <laughs> well, you see, you yeah. know what that is. Yeah, that's reality. That is. That's truth. It is. When you start seeing sin for what it is. Oh, yeah. And and how it is. And that's the kind of stuff that makes people want to, like, if you have, you know, the churchy's uh, phrase, a secret sin or something, or something that you just can't, for some reason, get rid of or want to get rid of, like, having it put in that term, it's like, yeah, this is why you need to get rid of this stuff. And sometimes Christians need help with other Christians. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. You you use the term secret sin because apparently it's a very trendy term right well, now. It's, yeah. And the truth of the matter is the reason that most people keep their secret sin a secret sin is because they know they can't trust other people in churches. No. I, I would because like how to often, say otherwise. Well, how often has a, has a, how often has a Christian said something to somebody or you said something to somebody in confidence and you're like this is important to me i don't want anyone to know i'm telling you this because i trust you and then you go to church two weeks later and the whole church now knows your business and and let's be perfectly honest sadly this is the reality many times in religious circles perception is reality reality yeah. isn't reality and it's not about how you truly are it's how you're perceived to be oh yeah and so the illusion must be preserved at all costs. Oh, yeah. So what happens? People do not, um, it's like that thing where we're talking about, you tell people what you're really going through, they don't want to hear it. No. And they certainly don't want to hear your sins. Oh, no. Now, what you're allowed to do is, everybody knows that there are lines that can't be crossed. There are the socially acceptable sins that everybody can admit to happen. Oh, I got so mad in traffic the other day. I gossiped. Oh, you know, 
uh, I, you know, this, that, and the other. And we consider these little bitty sins. The baby and, sins. Yes. And so it's okay. You know, I, I, I spoke harshly to my wife the other day. I used a tone I should not have used. And <laughs> and I woke and, up a week later. I don't know what that was about. <laughs> exactly. <but laughs> well, I, I the last thing I remember is she used the same tone to me. And then there was this, there was this thud and everything went black. But anyway, <laughs> but the truth of the matter is, you know, we admit to these little things. Because we can't basically go around pretending to be that righteous. But, but you go up and tell do, your and tell one of your uh, and tell someone in a church that you're that you have a porn addiction, or that you're a drinker. Well, even that's turned into kind of a common thing, you know. Isn't it's it like, funny how the different ways people? Back in the days when we used to have testimony services, I don't know if anybody still does that nowadays. I don't think I've ever been to one. Oh yeah. It, it, before your time, basically. Yeah. Um, the truth of the matter is, I used to hear people give their testimony, and it was like they were bragging oh, yeah. about their sins. It was almost like they were reliving it all and enjoying the good old days. And they would talk for like, you know, you'd have somebody who would uh, speak from a platform, and they'd give a testimony that ran 55 minutes. And then they mentioned 50, God. 50 of it was actually all the dirt they did and what a super sinner was and all the trouble they got into. And then five minutes was how Jesus saved them from their sins. Yeah. Don't you want to get saved too? And it's like, actually, you've been giving a better advertisement for sin. Actually, the past 50 minutes sounds more fun. What happened? <laughs> Why are you here? But, and, it's, and I've noticed. Isn't it weird? In, from the way it sounds like. It's almost like they have to be reminded that God saved them yeah. for the last few minutes. And they're like, uh, and, it's like, oh, yeah, I don't me. do that anymore now. Yeah. I feel like in movies I've seen that where it's like, you know, at the end, they're like, oh, yeah, and God saved me. And uh, I don't do that no more. It's the imbalance thing. You're I either, turned away from it. Yeah, you seem you're, like you're, you're enjoying it. You're either you're either, either, you're either talking about your uh, personal sin at length. Yeah. Like you're bragging on it, or you don't even want to speak of it at all. Yeah. And again, it's the imbalance. The truth of the matter is, it's like this. The scripture says that basically, um, a and let's see, a friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Yeah. Well, let me tell you what is sin if it isn't an adverse uh, an adversity. Let me tell you something. If you have brothers and sisters who claim the name of Christ. They need to be willing to stand with you, to support you, to to actually uh, be there for you, to, yeah. to and and to not. You know what? <laughs> I'll tell you what this. It's like you know what? Um, I like when Noah got drunk. Oh, by the way, he's one of those guys that basically couldn't probably fill most of pulpits in America. Um, Noah goes through the uh, the flood. He he gets drunk. Yeah, okay, he just harvested a vineyard, he made wine, and now he gets blitzed. Well, what happens? Apparently, he was uncovered in the tent. Yeah. Well, indeed, somebody has to come out and broadcast that fact because, you know, the, uh, it's like, check it out, oh, Noah, you know, he, he's, he's laying on his face, four sheets to the wind, uh -huh. and basically he's, he's drunk as a skunk, looking naked there. Well... At that point, it's like, okay, we've seen the way that all too many people, religious people, do. Yeah. But then he has two sons that take a blanket and they back into the tent with the blanket. They backed in. They backed in so they wouldn't look at their father's nakedness. Yeah. 
and they put the blanket over him to cover him up. You know what? They didn't endorse his sin. No. But they didn't feel the need to humiliate him over it. No. But, and I found it interesting, when Noah wakes up, the Spirit of the Lord comes on him because he realizes what's happened to him and that basically, and a curse is pronounced um, yeah, not on Noah for getting drunk in the and and in the tent, but on the one who who basically brat, yeah. are ratting him out. It's like, what is the deal? Because you know what, Jesus was never. Here's the thing: people think that sin cloaks you, but back in the garden, what happened? What happened with with Adam and Eve? It said they ate of the apple. They ate of the fruit of the tree of the garden, uh, in the garden of, of the knowledge of good and evil, and they became aware that they were naked. Yeah. There was an actual change in them because God actually made them, the, first of all, they realized something was different because they were naked. They, something changed. There was a, yeah. There was an actual change. There I was mean, a difference. Let's be perfectly honest. They knew because God had already said, look, a man. And a woman, um, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the same shall be basically one flesh. So it's not like they didn't know that there was a physical, biological difference yeah. between Adam and Eve. They were made good, which meant that their eyesight was perfectly all right. They weren't defective yeah. in their vision. So obviously, the fact that they became aware of this, they knew what the difference are. They knew how everything worked, and they simply had were able to see something changed. There was It was like there was a covering over them. Exactly. And, and then, then when they ate that, the covering got taken exactly, off. Exactly. The glory departed. Yeah. Because you remember what you remember when uh, when uh, Moses went up on the mountain, mm-hmm. and when he came back, his face shone. Yeah, well, it's kind of like that because God would come and visit them in the cool of the day, and the presence of the God imparted His glory to them. But then the glory departed, and so what you had are two people who realized for the first time they were naked, and they felt the need to create a covering, but that wasn't good enough. So at that point, God had to basically kill a sacrifice to create a covering for their sin. And it's like, it's like I'm, I'm giving you a, a heads up. This yeah. is how it's got to be from now on. And so what do you have? God, and here's the thing. What did sin do to Adam and Eve? It made them naked in the presence of their enemy. It was this Adam and Eve and the serpent. People think that sin hides you yeah, or conceals you. No, it exposes you. It makes you naked in the presence of the enemy that wants to kill you. That's the truth. Oh, yeah. And so it became God's job then, and it's all of our job. You know what? Sin, by its own nature, exposes we don't need to be engaging in that. We need to be like the sons of Noah. We need to be like, um, like God in the garden. We need to be like Christ. You know, what has he got? He's got a naked woman basically laying in front of him who's basically caught in the act of adultery. And it's like, yeah. seriously. Um, it's like, where's the dude? But anyway, it's like, yeah. so she's there, and it's like, uh, where are your accusers? 
nowhere. Well, neither do I, Cuse. Go and sin no more. It's not just enough to extend the forgiveness, but there has to be the repentance. And you see, all that is really how Christians should be. And it's like, if you do sin and you do fall, you need you do need to repent and turn away. But you also, for me at least, it's like the body needs to be there. Indeed. And it's like so many people are more like the one guy who's just going out and telling everybody what Noah did. But we need more people like the sons of Noah who, who knew they, because they knew. They knew what happened. But they took a blanket, but they had enough respect to where they just backed him. They didn't even look at him and they threw the blanket on him and then they, and they covered him. And with spiritual warfare, back to how this whole thing started, it always feels alone when you're going to like a pastor or somebody and you have this problem. It's like we said, we always feel like you're alone in the battle when really it should be more like what happened with Noah's sons. You go in together you know, and you help the one who is struggling not to brag or humiliate or say anything, but because it's like, if that was you in that situation, you would want someone to come and help you to pray for you, to pray with you. And when you're in spiritual warfare, if you've never dealt with that before to guide you through it and help you with it. So that way, cause all that does is benefit the body. Cause then when someone else is struggling, you can go help them. See, that's like, because what we're really talking about in this is, this is really an extension of that second piece of the armor of God. We, we talked about basically, um, you know, the belt, the truth, the reality check, but then there's the, the righteousness. Yeah. And in the righteousness, breastplate, you're actually dealing with, through the fruit of the Spirit, sin issues and all this. And so what you have is, Think about this. The way the Romans used to do their formations is they used to all basically lock shields. Yeah. And there'd be like row upon row of them. You see in some of these, in some of these, uh, uh, in some of these uh, sci-fi fantasy movies where yeah. these different creatures are locking shields and all that. Uh-huh. And they just lock together and in this formation. Well, and what happens is if somebody goes down, He's got if some somebody on falls, side. they close ranks. First of all, they're there to hold them up. But if they do fall, they can close ranks and protect them. Oh, yeah. Until they can basically be, be restored. And so that's the thing about it. There's, about, there's this thing about, about, about closing ranks. The sad thing is that we have a lot of people who basically feel like you're right. They are the only one fighting this battle. Yeah. They really aren't. There's multitudes of people who are fighting the same battles but are disconnected from anybody else who's fighting the same battle or anybody who would care enough to help because they don't know who to trust. Well, see, when I went through what I went through, I did not talk really to friends at all. Mm Mm-hmm. And I talk to y'all some because you're family and you don't have a choice. You have to listen. To <laughs> now, um, and we won't stay out of your business. Yeah. There's that. Yeah, that too. <laughs> um, but when I went through what I went through, I was not in a right space at all. And I remember I was just on the phone with my mom 
and then I think she called my grandmother and it was like, well, I have to go get him or something or I have to go talk to him. And I was leaving work at 11 at night and then it's like y'all just showed up, you know, because you felt like there was some like there was something in your spirit that said something was really, really wrong. Yeah, you know, actually, God spoke one word to your mother, spoke a different word to me. And when she looked at me, she said, this is what I think the Lord just spoke to me. This is the word he just gave me. He said, I really hate to show up at, at Aaron's workplace when he's getting off of work. But I really think that we we need to go. And it's like, you don't hear me arguing, do you? Because yeah. God had already spoken a different word to me. But it was along parallel lines. It's like, trust me. I'm, I'm, I'll, I'll, I'll take the wheel. <laughs> yeah. But you see, there's a reason why they call it spiritual warfare. Yeah. And of all the churchies things, this is the most like accurate. Yeah. One, because there's casualties in warfare. Mm-hmm. If y'all hadn't have done that, I would probably honestly, and people get all dramatic. Like, I wouldn't be here dead honest. I probably wouldn't be here. Um, I could have been a casualty. Yes. And the thing is though, People need to have compassion again, I think, in the body of Christ. They need to listen to this to the Holy Spirit more because this is a war. And yeah, God wins in the end. But it's like the devil, but the devil's like this. I'm going to take as many as I can on the way to your victory. Exactly. It's like, I don't care who they are. I'll take them out. I'll take as many out as I can and I'll distract them. I'll do what I got to do. And this is why I feel like this is an important discussion because it's like people get so, at least in America, people get so lax and they're just so comfortable and just, you know, not even caring about each other for the most part. We're more concerned about, and I guess rightly so, but we're more concerned about politics and whether you're a Republican or a Democrat. And we're not really so much concerned on whether or not the person sitting next to us is struggling in something and keeping it to themselves because they feel like they can't talk to nobody. We're not concerned about the church where it's like, if we actually took the time, prayed for each other, talked to one another and was there for each other, the church would be like a powerhouse. Mm -hmm. If we actually took the time to talk to each other, find out where we're struggling and not act like a jerk when someone confides in us, when someone's struggling, you know? Well, talking about spiritual warfare, think about Daniel. Daniel went on a fast and prayer vigil. And the first thing he did is he started repenting on the, on behalf of his nation, on behalf of his people, as well as for himself. Now, 21 days later, his answer arrived, okay? 21 days later. When Gabriel showed up, he said, look, your prayer was heard on the first day. It took me three weeks of fighting to get here. I'd be aggravated as Daniel. And I would not, and and the only way I made it was because Michael the Archangel came to my aid, okay? Here's, Here's the deal. And it's like, so you look at this, there was there was talk about warfare. Yeah, um, that's that's one of the things that people don't really understand um, is the amount of warfare that goes on. You know, the thing about it is, Aaron, if we would actually do 
what we're supposed to do. Um, part of being righteous is, is not being condescending. It's like I think about <laughs> it's 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 religion. What did Jesus tell us? There was two people that went in to pray. And then there's the man who stands up and he looks up to heaven and he says, oh, thank you, God. Then I'm not like this dirtbag sinner <laughs> publican here that's basically, he's such a no good, dirty, rotten dog. And it's like, and then there's the guy who's down on his knees and he won't even lift his face to heaven. And it's like, God, forgive me. God, forgive me for all the dirt and all the rot and all the, you know who I am and what I am and what I've done. It's like, who do you think went away justified? Yeah. And so, you know, we, we really do. And, and that's the way it, it, so many times if we would just truly be who we're supposed to be. But the question is, if we're not, what does it say about the lack of the fruit of the spirit? Love, joy, peace, you know, all of these things, it's like, is that not the manifestation of them that we love? Oh, if, think about what John wrote. Beloved, love one another. Basically, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by the love you have one for another. Let me tell you something. When, when we came to you, honestly, the Holy Spirit really led us in, 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 into doing that. But because we love you, we acted, okay? Um, if you go to somebody and they truly love you, you can trust them. They will be there for you. They will help you. They will listen to you. You know, whatever it takes to get you through, they're going to do. The truth of the matter is, if we're not showing that, do we tr are, are we truly his disciples? Do we truly have the love of Christ? I mean, or are we just like the people who let the poor guy in the road and had to wait for a Samaritan to show up? If that's the manifestation of it, if that's, you know, how you know someone is really a disciple and they're not showing that, then what are they? <laughs> then what is manifesting? Yeah, exactly. Because it, if, if that's what shows that you're a disciple and you're doing the complete opposite, then what are you a disciple of? And that's really a, it's a scary thought. But I, uh, I won't, let me go ahead and I'll just start hitting the rest of the armor of God while we're thinking about that. Because we talked about the belt. We talked about righteousness and the breastplate. And then it talks about then your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know that, you know that, that word, um, having your feet shod, it, it really messes with the people who translate that deal because they don't understand how a how peace and a military shoe go hand in hand they they really don't they don't get that um because it's like well this is a is a military uh, well let's be honest um if you see a military hobnail boot yeah that doesn't necessarily doesn't equate to you know how lovely on the mountains of the feet of them who bring yeah. good news it's like what what is the deal i was actually reading something along those lines and they were struggling with that 
But you know the thing about peace is there's a point in which peace comes after the battle. And you know what? Because here's the thing, and we'll go back to this. You'll notice that back here it talks about in verse 12 of chapter 6 of Ephesians about wrestling not against flesh and blood, against principalities, powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This armor is for battling specifically those entities. And each of them has a meaning. We'll talk about that at some point. But the interesting thing is those shoes are for dealing with that enemy. Yeah. Well, what did it talk about when Jesus talked about that basic, look at, look at the, uh, go back to the garden. The seed of the woman will hate the seed of the serpent and vice versa. And it's like, He's going, you're going, you're going to bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head. Mm -hmm. Now, let's be perfectly honest. When Jesus, Jesus came twice, the culmination of the first time he came was basically putting Satan's head under his feet. When he comes the second time, he, did you, do you notice what he's wearing then? He's wearing shoes that shine like brass, like copper. Do you know what he's going to do? It says he comes to tread the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he does it all by himself. Let me tell you, the Prince of Peace will come, but he'll come to execute judgment by stomping his enemies. It talks about how much blood is going to flow. When he does this, it's like, seriously, dude, he's not coming to pat them on the head. Yeah. I mean, and the interesting thing is, it tells you here in Ephesians that we should be wearing this armor, especially as that day approaches. The word salvation there, it's really interesting because we. Um, it, the interesting thing is after you get to the... Uh, uh, Feet shot with the preparation of peace. The interesting thing is you, you get to that and, it's, and then it's the shield of faith and then the helmet of salvation. Now I want to talk about just those things really quickly. The preparation of the gospel of peace. The preparation of the gospel of peace. Peace happens after the victory. Which means that sometimes you have to crush the head of your enemy. Okay, that's the thing that people don't get. Peace isn't just given. You got to stomp your enemy. Okay, when when your enemy is no longer well, it's like the old deal when when people used that. My deal is if I was in a fight, I wanted to get you down, and I didn't let you back up. It's like the deal, you know. Why did you kick a man while he was down? What do you think I got him down for? You know, <laughs> like, I, I'm not going to let him get back up and and beat me down. So you have that kind of situation where actually the gospel of peace will put the head of the enemy under your feet. And so then you have then the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one. This is, and, and I think it's interesting because you look at shield, 
faith is something you have, but it's also something you do. If there's no action, there's no faith. That's what James basically said. You basically say, you know, you have faith, but you don't have any works. I'll show you my faith by my works. If my faith doesn't result in my doing something, then I can prove I have faith. What can you prove? Basically. And so it's like, okay, so this is your call to action. And because you have faith, you have this confidence in God. The next thing it talks about is the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The helmet of salvation, that's a really good one. See, there's these words in the Greek, soter, which is basically Savior. Then there's uh, soterion, which is uh, basically salvation, and it's a, an adjective, uh, basically of the Savior or of salvation. And then you have another one, which is soteria, and then there's another word translates uh, 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 sozos is the word, and it's translated uh, salvation. So you've got all these words that are translated salvation, and here's the one, it's soterion. Now here's the interesting thing. Whenever he uses this particular term, soterion, there's like five times this specific Greek word is found in the New Testament. The first time is when Jesus is being uh, circumcised, and they took him to the temple, and the old man saw him, and he said, I have seen the salvation of Israel. Read that passage and talk about what he's going to do and what he's going to save Israel from. And then there's another passage in Luke where John the Baptist is telling the, the, uh, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, you bunch of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath of God to come? And then basically he talks about Jesus coming and he beho basically behold the, the salvation. And he talks about the wrath that's going to come, that this is the one who will, that, that is our salvation. And then you see this term here, and it occurs a couple other times. The interesting thing I, I, I find about this is that there's actually, based on every time that this Greek word soterion is used, it actually has to do with the return of Christ and him rescuing us. Hmm. Now think about that. It has to do, it says we are not appointed, and there's another, I believe there's a variant on, uh, I think it's soteria in this other uh, deal where it says in First Thessalonians, we are not appointed unto wrath, but to obtain salvation through Jesus Christ. Many times what you'll see is a good literal translation might be basically to be rescued to be rescued by and it talks about the hope of our salvation the hope of our rescue and it's like basically he's the one who's going to ride in at the uh at, and basically rescue us all he's going to rescue us all from uh, so that we do not experience the wrath of god and so that is the hope of our salvation that we don't basically, because of uh, accepting Jesus Christ, we do not have to basically endure the wrath of God. And then it talks about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. Now, I do want to say this. 
you know what's one thing I get tired of hearing about? Hmm. How the sword of the spirit, the word of God, is the only offensive weapon. Everything else is defensive. With all due respect, yes, a sword is a serious weapon. And the sword of the spirit, the word of God, is a serious weapon. But let's not denigrate the rest of the armor in yeah. that respect. Let's be honest. If you're wearing a helmet. And you, yeah. Let's be honest. We're in Alabama. The mm-hmm. state religion is football in all forms, okay? Yeah. Everybody has either played football, is related to somebody played football, or is friends with somebody who played football at some level at some time. Oh, yeah. And let me tell you something. You ever get hit by somebody who's wearing a helmet? There's a reason why they throw a penalty flag for spearing. You yeah. hit somebody, you nail somebody with a helmet, you get headbutted by somebody who's wearing <laughs> that kind of headgear. Well, there was a whole fight that went on in the NFL earlier. And uh, it was either earlier in this year or late last year. Guy hit another guy with a helmet. And they yeah. thought about charging the guy with assault <laughs> yeah. because he hit him in the head with a helmet. Yeah. Let me tell you something. That that helmet of salvation. It's there for protection, but it'll also be a weapon. Exactly. The same thing with the, with the shield of faith. Will it protect you from the fiery darts of the devil? Absolutely. But let me tell you something. Anybody who's been in an alley fight and had somebody pick up a trash can lid. Oh, yeah. And, and it's not only good for defense, but you can beat the living mm-hmm. daylights out of somebody. Or at least you sometimes you can use the shield to push someone back. Yeah, you can use it as an offensive weapon. I mean, anybody who's watched certain kind of wrestling matches know yeah. that basically if you get smacked with a with a trash can lid, oh, yeah. you know, they ain't what they used to be, but they'll still put they'll still put a, a world of hurt on you if if done correctly. So we see all this and um we have this situation where basically wh- when you look at who this this is being directed at The interesting thing about this whole armor of God is he basically says this. He said, basically, our fight basically is not against flesh and blood. Now, the thing about it is every bit of these are for that we're taking on here is largely for battling against spiritual entities. So what kind of entities are they talking about? It talks about, uh, let's see here, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and spiritual wickedness in high places. That, that last one, spiritual wickedness in high places or heavenly places, it depends on what translation you're basically reading from. In fact, literally, it means basically um, those entities, those spiritual uh, entities, are located above the sky. Now, remember when we talked about Daniel and it took yeah. 21 days? Those are the entities Gabriel had to get through in order to reach Daniel with the message. Those are the ones that were so fierce that it basically took the help of the Archangel Michael in order to get through. Okay. And so basically when you're, when you're looking at that, um, you, you look at that, the spiritual forces, um, they're actually called uh, pneumatica. Okay. 
basically they're spiritual beings. Um, that's not a name. It's really more of a job description. It's what they do. Yeah, it's pretty much what they do. And they're enthroned in heavenly places. And so you have that kind of th- that situation going on. When we are basically, you ever, you ever pray and it's like, man, you're, you're, you feel like your prayers are just hitting the, the, the ceiling and they're just not going anywhere. That's because there is a battle in the heavenlies that is about communication and getting, and, and, and basically this is the activity that's going on and these things are actually waging the battle. Um, another thing uh, that's uh, mentioned here is the rulers of the darkness of this world. Now this is a really interesting one. Um, I want to make sure that I there it's basically called uh, uh, Cosmocratoris. How do you like that one? That's a fun one. Yeah, Cosmocratoris. That's not a proper you know description, but it, it's 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 basically another again, it's a job title. Normally you apply it to Satan because it rep- Satan, uh, the devil is a ch- is a cherub. He was the crowning cherub that covered, okay? So we know that Satan, the adversary, is technically a cherub, okay? That's what he is. But the term cosmos uh, uh, Kratoris uh, actually refers to his activity in blinding. He, he's a world ruler who basically blinds... Um, with darkness, moral darkness, mental darkness. Basically, he clouds the minds, you know, sort of like the shadow, you know, the power to cloud men's minds. Well, anybody who is not in a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ, he has the power to darken their understanding. Hmm. When it talks about blindness has happened in part. Yeah. See, this is what Satan is allowed to do in those who actually are... Who, lo- who are not in covenant relationship with God. If you're not in covenant relationship with God, then basically or you are serving the God of this world and he's allowed to darken your understanding, to darken your mind, darken your heart. Yeah. It's what he does. Okay. Now, he's not alone in this. He's got a whole gang who basically help facilitate this. So when we talk about how people are brainwashed from birth. Yeah. This is Guess how these are the guys. Yeah, these are the guys. These cosmocratoras are darkening the understanding of the world. Then you have a group of people that are called. Uh, let me see here. If you look here, it says basically um, powers. That's a you got principalities and you got powers. Basically, you got. Arcas and you got Exusias. How you like them fancy schmancy names? Goodness, uh, indeed. Um, it basically Arcas are basically it has to do with like the first or the chief or the 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 beginning. It's like a high ranker or something. And, and essentially, yes, you are a high ranker, basically, and 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 so these are very powerful spirits that have been in operating because they're eternal beings for a long time 
and they are seriously high ranking. Yeah. Okay. These are these are what you might call generals in the in that in that spiritual hierarchy. Then there are exousias. Well, exousias is an interesting uh, word because it's usually translated authority. Hmm. Yeah. There are two words that are actually uh, uh, there are two words in the Greek that are translated power. One is dynamis, and the other is exousias. Dynamis is power, like. The power of the Holy Spirit is dunamis or dynamis. It's the word we get dynamite and dynamo and all that. It's like it's a big supercharged yeah. power. But the exousias is more authority. And I'll give you an example of this. A policeman wears a badge. Yeah. A sheriff or his deputy wears a badge. That is the symbol of their authority, their exousias. Yeah. If you do not comply, they carry a taser. Yeah. They carry a pistol and they can call for backup. That's the dunamis. It's yeah. like, I can tell you what to do. That's my authority. If I have to reach on my hip, that's my dunamis. Okay. Okay. And you don't want me to do that. Okay. Um, so you have that situation. Well, these exousias are ones who have authority. Now, that does not translate into dunamis, but they have authority, which means that it's been granted to them. These are spirits who have authority. Now, that's an interesting situation because when you have authority, think about how Jesus, were, and, he, and, and Jesus understood this kind of a spiritual mode of operation. Remember when this... Uh, there was the uh, people that came to him, and it's like the rabbis are like, look, there's this guy, he's a centurion, he's got this, you mm -hmm. know, sick individual, and then it's like, we, we want you to heal him because he's built yeah. us a synagogue and all this. And it's like, and it's like, okay, I get it, I'll go. And it's like, no, it's like, no. He said, basically, I'm one under authority. Yeah. All you have to do, you don't even have to crush my threshold. All you got to do is say the word, and my servant will be healed. And Jesus wondered at it. it was like he was truly amazed. It's like, I have not found this kind of faith in all of Israel. But he was a person in authority and he understood he, understood he recognized power. It. He understood authority. I say to this one come and he comes. I say to this one go when he goes. It's like if my word I have authority, what I say goes. You have authority. If you say say the word, it will happen. And it's like, so basically these are entities if they say the word it'll happen yeah <laughs> so these are very dangerous um spirits they have they have yes um do they have dunamis but what they say there is a spiritual authority they can set things in motion yeah and so these are very dangerous uh entities which is why we have to have this armor, because he's saying this is who we're battling against. It's not the people. Because many times what happens is these spirits are telling the people what to do, in, especially in exousias. Yeah. It's like there are sadly people who are knowingly, as well as those who are unknowingly, being manipulated and used by these spiritual entities. And they do the bidding 
of their masters. Um, Exusius is kind of a lot of that, a lot of that going on. So think about that these are four different kinds or four different job descriptions of spiritual entities that the armor of God, which we are to put on completely every day is designed to combat so when we talk about spiritual warfare that's pointing to four types of entities or rather four job descriptions of spiritual entities that we are going to be brought into conflict with so when we talk about spiritual warfare it ain't a vague thing no we have real spiritual enemies we know what their job description is. We know if we're studying what we're actually supposed to do, put on the full armor of God. And then with that full armor of God, we are basically to battle those entities. You know, and so that's where real spiritual warfare is, uh, begins to occur. Now, the, the dynamics of how that works, um, that's going to be that's that's going to be really interesting on on explaining how that works. Yeah, because that's pretty much I feel like because if we're going to be honest, like these people are like all these spirits. These aren't just like, you know, uh, they're not just purgatory, I guess, spirits where it's like they're not on either side. Like, if we're going to be honest, we could probably just say most some of these are probably demonic. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. they're on Satan's side. So, yes, these are demonic um, beings. And, you know, when you're combating these things, obviously prayer goes into it. Fasting goes into it. Um, but then I feel like then you get into that one part of the ministry that Jesus also talked about where it's like you will heal the sick, you know, spread cast, the gospel and then cast, cast out, out demons, cast out devils. The one part that really doesn't get touched on much. But we'll um, probably cover th- that stuff like uh, on another episode. Right. Uh, the casting out of demons and pretty much, I guess, the... Because that would probably go into the how-to yeah. of spiritual warfare. Yeah, that's uh, that's more of the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. Well, this has been pretty good. Um, any... Uh, is there anything else you would like to share about this right now, or would you want to hold off till next I time? I think that I will hold off until the uh, the next time, um, because I suspect what we're going to talk about is not so much principalities, power, spiritual wickedness, and having a place as the, the things that we're putting on the whole armor of God about, but you're also going to find out, you know, we need to discuss things about, first of all, the ministry of Christ and the casting out of devils, the way that, um, let me put it this way, the way that people open doors to the demonic, the way that people need to shut doors to the demonic, um, how to deal with the demonic, um, what they are, uh, how they operate, and uh uh, whom they w- can expect it and who can they can afflict and how to basically be rid of them. 
So I think that's yeah. going to cover a, a lot of uh, territory there. So I'll save, I think, all that for. All right. Well, I'm really looking forward to the next episode then. This has been really good. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to today's show. If you want to stay up to date on all things regarding the show, please follow our Instagram page at Voice in the Wilderness underscore podcast or check out our Facebook page at Voice in the Wilderness. Follow me on all the social media. If you're listening to this on a streaming service that allows you to follow me, please do that. If you're listening to this and they allow reviews or something like that, please leave me a review. Every little bit helps. Thank you so much for all your support.